0: and happy new year welcome back to psychocinematic the podcast where we analyze depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and tv before we start a short disclaimer while i am a practicing psychologist this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener nor the characters we are talking about i'm not representative of all psychologists and my opinion is just that one opinion Also, while I do have a little bit of lived experience of anxiety and depression, for the most part, I'm only commenting on my understanding of illnesses, symptoms, and disabilities based on what I've learned and read. Myself and my co-hosts in no way feel we have the final say on any character portrayal. We may get it wrong, and I invite you to let us know if we do. It's my intention to start discussions with this podcast and for it to evolve over time, so please give us any feedback you have. And now, on with the show. have with me again Michael Watson. Hey everybody. Co-host who isn't Christmas shopping right now.
1: (laughs) No no good to be back in the seat ready to talk some mental illness in movies with you
0: guys. (laughs) I I apologize that someone took your seat briefly and will probably take it again.
1: No that's fine. How good was Maz?
0: She's got a place for radio as they say. (laughs) Yeah she's got she did a really good job. Before we get into what we're doing today, I just thought maybe we could just reflect on what else we're watching at the moment, because we've been watching a lot. Um, I watched Bridgerton very quickly recently. Did you like it? It was soft porn, so yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a good trash watch, definitely.
1: Watched Big Mouth?
0: Yes, I definitely think we should do Big Mouth at some stage, but it's very long form
1: yeah it's a lot of content but it's um covertly wholesome yeah this season at the end
0: yeah it was like very relevant to what we're talking about mm. like how to deal with it. depression and anxiety
1: yeah gratitude
0: i would love to share it with like the kids that i see but also it's full
1: <laughs> you'd be chased out of <laughs> melbourne with you know a I mob of parents behind you yeah <laughs>
0: But I mean, some of the things kids watch in primary school these days are a lot worse. So who knows?
1: <laughs> Bit of a fuddy-duddy, aren't you?
0: <laughs> We've covered lots of specific topics, but one topic I really wanted to talk about, um, which is relevant to both our lives at the moment, is some postnatal mental illness, particularly postnatal anxiety or depression. But there's not a lot of movies out there. But the one we're going to focus on today, Tully, came out a couple of years ago in 2018. And I guess for a little bit of context, we have a baby ourselves and he's nine months old tomorrow. So yeah, the reason why I wanted to focus on it is because we both, I think we both experienced a little bit of postnatal mm. depression. I was clinically assessed as having postnatal depression like two or three months old. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think in the context that he was born in April last year and we live in Melbourne, I think that could probably be diagnosed as COVID depression. Mm. And it was definitely um, nowhere near as severe as what's depicted in this movie. And I was able to manage it fairly well. But I also feel like (laughs) everyone who had a baby last year probably met the criteria in some way. It was a pretty shit year to have a baby, let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, but we did have a lot to say about Tully. As does the internet. There was so many articles. Yeah,
1: pretty controversial film.
0: Yeah, surprisingly. And, you know, I didn't really know it existed till very recently. So Mm. it kind of... I thought it slipped under the radar, but clearly it didn't. Yeah. And I just wasn't paying attention.
1: I guess not. (laughs) Are you a Diablo Cody fan?
0: Oh... She kind of gets on my nerves a little bit. I... Watched Juno you know, with anticipation along with everybody else, but I thought it was a bit overrated. Mm. Up in the air, felt the same way.
1: She did something called Young Adult.
0: Oh, yeah, I saw that. Char- Charlize is in that too. Oh. Uh, it's pretty. It's a pretty depressing movie. Maybe we'll cover that one is day it? too. Uh, you know, it's an adult with some issues. <laughs> <laughs> she likes to do adults with issues. Yeah. <laughs> Involving Charlize. Do so, you think
1: that um, Marlo is just a grown-up Juno?
0: Ooh, no <laughs>
1: <laughs> on with the podcast <laughs> on with
0: the podcast so should we start with the plot yes of the movie michael you again you're the best at plot so you want to take it from here
1: this is a bit of a long one but, but here we go so marlo Charlize. And Drew, Ron Livingston, Burger, okay, a Burger, <laughs> burger. Scrunchy are expecting their third child.
0: If anyone's wondering who Burger is, it's from Sex in the City. Ron Livingston plays a, a Carrie boyfriend.
1: It's... It was his defining role. It was his magnum opus.
0: He broke up over a post-it note.
1: The film opens with a long sequence of Marlowe meticulously brushing her son's skin from head to toe, and it's clear that she's a devoted, assiduous mother.
0: It's a really sweet scene.
1: I looked up a synonym for hardworking and I found assiduous. <laughs> well done. <laughs> hardworking seemed hard a, bit, a bit trite. <laughs> but things aren't perfect at home. The son is quote unquote quirky or has some sort of developmental issue that is not specified. There's financial stress causing Drew to be less than present. Um, and hints that Marlowe had some postnatal mental illness with a, the previous pregnancy. The story gets rolling when Marlowe's wealthy brother, with all of these things in mind, offers to pay for a night nanny for when the baby comes. The idea is that the nanny takes care of the baby's feeds overnight while Marlowe sleeps. Marlowe totally dismisses the idea out of hand, but eventually the drudgery of raising a newborn wears her down and she hires the nanny. Enter Tully Mackenzie Davis.
0: Who I love so much. Yeah. Just love her.
1: Holt and catch fire. Oh. Underrated show. So good. Check it out. Um, She's the hip, young, unexpectedly worldly night nanny who manages to turn things around for Marlowe, letting her flourish as a mother for all of the kids. Some of the most notable moments in the movie include Tully preparing cupcakes for the son's class, uh, which the son then says Marlowe made, and Marlowe doesn't correct him.
0: Did not even notice that.
1: What could it mean? (laughs) Also, when Marlowe divulges to Tully that she bought a sexy waitress outfit to wear for Drew, but that she doesn't think it'll ever end up being used. The two of them end up having sex with Drew, Marlowe behind Tully instructing her on what he likes Mm. in the sack.
0: So I think it's Tully that has sex with him.
1: And finally, the climax of the film, where Marlowe and Tully go out to Brooklyn for some drinks. Tully confesses that she can't be the night nanny anymore. Marlowe's devastated and ends up driving home smashed, whereupon she drives... The car off a bridge. She wakes up... Yeah, go on. Whereupon. Whereupon. <laughs> Whereupon she wakes up in hospital. Whereupon we see her and Tully's final farewell. Whereupon a montage <laughs> okay, of okay, Marlo okay. doing all the things we thought Tully was doing throughout the movie. The psychiatrist diagnoses Marlow with, quote, extreme exhaustion and sleep deprivation. We find out that Marlowe's maiden name is Tully... Ergo, Tully was all in Marlowe's head. What? The end.
0: (laughs) I guess at the end of the movie, like, the husband says, you know, I'll step up and be better. And he supposedly steps up and is better.
1: Yeah. What do you think? Mm, I have some thoughts. She (laughs) wasn't real.
0: Um, We could probably do a whole episode on her son, Jonah, and his unnamed developmental issues, which on the surface look a little bit like could be autism from from how he presents, but we won't go into that because we'll be here forever. So I guess the the movie's supposed to, according to the filmmakers, encapsulate motherhood and the stress of motherhood and postnatal mental illness. So looking at this movie from our criteria perspective... Uh, the first being lived experience. There's actually a lot written from Diablo Cody specifically but also Shelley's Theron about you know why this movie was made and what they what kind of story they wanted to portray. and I read a fair bit on Diablo Cody's experience of postnatal depression and she said when her youngest was born she was um, really struggling, she had a high stress career and two boys as well as a newborn, and she hit a wall. So she wanted to make this movie based on her own experiences as a mother and having postnatal depression. And she, she's had a lot of flack from people, um, thinking that she's made light of postnatal depression, and she said, I've been through it myself, so how can I possibly make light of it? And that she's had lots of mums come up to her saying, yeah, they appreciate that they have been represented on screen. And she Diablo said, I haven't seen a movie about someone struggling with postpartum, and I want women to see the movie and feel seen. So I guess she does have a lived experience of postpartum depression. But we'll talk more about that later because I don't think the movie just describes postpartum depression.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, no, mad points for lived experience. And I don't think you can really attack her for making the movie that she made if it's somewhat autobiographical.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, and you can tell that (laughs) these are real experiences, Mm. uh, which we'll get to. Like, um, She obviously wanted to share... Something that was very real. Mm. So no better place to share from your own experience. Mm. Yeah. I did read that Charlie's Theron had depression as well. Um, She has a history of depression in her past. She said in an interview with Vulture that I think so much of the story feels so familiar and personal to me. It's very much like my life. Although not on an on-the-nose way.
1: She said on-the-nose. I guess I love her. (laughs) Maybe a little covert shout-out to Psycho Cinematic.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, two years ago. So, yeah, it sounds like there's some of her own experience in that portrayal. But one thing I read a fair bit was there was quite a few articles about her weight gain for the movie, and she actually shared that she experienced some depression when she gained the weight. And at first when I was like, oh, she developed depression from the weight gain, I was like, oh, come on, like welcome to how the rest of the people in this world live because we're we all can't be as slim and good-looking as Charlize Theron
1: yeah it kind of sounds like she's like oh look at all the fat people they must be so sad
0: and now I'm sad because I am fat yeah (laughs) but in the context of her being like a superstar I can kind of understand feeling depressed because, like, there were articles being like, "Shelley Theron is unrecognizable, on the set of Tully, she looks completely different. And it's like, no wonder she gets depressed because she's in so much scrutiny. And she's not, like, obese. (laughs) She just looks like a postpartum woman. Yeah, I just really hate how whenever a celebrity puts on weight, they're like, holy shit, they don't even look like them. It's like, A bit of weight causes so much uproar. Like, how's it supposed to make people feel who aren't celebrities? Like, they see that and go, oh, when I put on weight, then I must look disgusting and awful and unrecognizable. It's so yucky. I hate it. It is yucky. Anyway, moving on. I was interested to see if they did any actual research into postpartum depression besides... Diablo's actual experiences. And apparently, according to Today, US, um, she absolutely did not speak to any experts on maternal mental illness and stands by that decision because she said, I've had my own experiences and my own research, um, and one movie cannot possibly tell everyone's story. Which I have a little problem with. <laughs> because, yes, fair enough, she's right. Like, one movie is one person's story, but it'd be very responsible to do a little bit of research, I think.
1: I agree, especially when you put a psychiatrist in the film. You need to make sure that they're doing what a psychiatrist would actually do.
0: Yeah, you would want but, to anyway.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, you know, this is this is the story of her lived experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you wouldn't want to impose on her. You wouldn't want to say, well, these are the criteria for postnatal depression. So you need to make sure that your story hits all of those. Yeah. Um, so I see where she's coming from. And I see where her haters are coming from.
0: <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I did read a few blogs and articles that were very widely shared about the movie. Like one of them was from the all Mom, all, the mums blog, all the mums blog, all the
1: moms, all
0: the moms, called "Why I Won't See Tully and You Should Think Twice Before You Do." And maybe they should have seen it just to, you know.
1: <laughs> you can't critique a movie without say, nah, seeing it, even if you, no, you don't agree with it.
0: And, like, trailers are just trying to get people's bums in seats. Like, they're not always a good depiction of what's actually in the film.
1: And there's a, a, a great plot twist in this film. Oh, I
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously the person who wrote this uh, blog knew the plot twist because it's Graham Seabrook, but she said, I can truly cannot understand why no one involved in this movie appears to have consulted with any of the leading advocates in the maternal mental health community if they'd asked they would have known the difference between postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis, and they would have understood the difference between a raw look at motherhood and mental illness.
1: And I mean, I don't really know what they're saying there because neither diagnosis is given in the No,
0: mood. no diagnosis is actually given. And a lot of articles that I've read say, oh, she's diagnosed with postpartum depression, but she's not actually. Like, no one actually gives her a clinical diagnosis in the film, hmm. apart from the fact that she had had some depression in the past. Maybe that's how they kind of get away with it, by not actually diagnosing her. But obviously they are promoting the film. They were promoting the film as having postpartum depression. Mm. But the person who wrote that also just feels like they were very adamant that people with postpartum psychosis deserve an apology from (laughs) the people who created this movie and they deserve much more than the throwaway treatment that they get, that they're more than a plot twist, which I agree with.
1: But I think that this is expecting too much of a movie. Like, I think it's expecting, you know, a movie with Charlize Theron and Berger in it (laughs) to be some sort of public health intervention.
0: Yeah. And that's, I agree with you, but Diablo's discussing of why she made this movie is to to make mothers feel seen and have their stories told. So if she's going to do that, then she maybe needed to be a bit more responsible about it.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: But wait till you hear what Jason Reitman has to say. I'd love to
1: hear what Jason said. (laughs) Who directed the film. Always up for some Jason.
0: So he had an interview with Newsweek and they asked, have you read some of the criticisms of the film from mental health advocates and do you have a response? And he says, not really. I feel like Diablo has written a very personal film which comes from our own experiences. The movie is not a clinical film. The movie is centred around our relationship with ourselves. And some of that criticism came from people who hadn't seen the movie and in reference to the people we'll talk about a bit later that that, um criticized the movie for not showing any treatment for her postpartum mental health issues he says well actually the movie isn't about mental health so that doesn't mean anything so i think that's a bit shit (laughs) for him to say that like no it's not about mental health it's just about your your journey Uh, That frustrates me because as a person's journey and saying, oh, it's got nothing to do with mental health, it just misses the point of humanity and your mental well-being to me.
1: I think he makes a good point in his quote. So he says that, you know, people who were demanding this of Tully wouldn't demand of Juno that it has a sequence on the correct best practice management of teen pregnancy. And that's totally right. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair enough.
0: Yeah, you're right, um, you're right.
1: I think that there's probably, like, two camps watching this movie. Like, one camp is watching it, like, I know all about postpartum depression and this is what I expect to see. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to come out feeling. Like a, a public health film. Like, he he says clinical film. The other camp are the, the people watching a movie for entertainment not for clinical reasons who want to see a character on a journey and probably don't care about the dsm (laughs) criteria you don't have to
0: care about the dsm criteria as we've established on this podcast movies are a very powerful medium and often how we see things that we later experience on film kind of can color how we process some of those things or how we treat some of those things so if i wasn't a mum when I watch this movie, I could come out of this going, oh crap, I'm going to get depressed and I'm going to have psychosis and that's, sh- and and then no one's going to like help me. That's just going to be the end of it. And I, I know that's a very crude way of looking at it, but I think you can tell a story of someone's journey for the people that are entertained, but also kind of educating a little bit at the same time, like, and sh- sending a message respectfully and responsibly at the same time. I, I don't think... think there's a lot of power in movies which is why we're doing a podcast about it so i don't think it's unreasonable to expect a bit more
1: yeah fair enough
0: like okay um it's about the experience of finding oneself or revisiting that younger self fair enough could tully have been real then and brought that out in her as you know someone she saw herself in would that have detracted from the film and if it has detracted from the film then i call bullshit on it being just a story about finding your inner self because obviously there were things in the film that you know her husband needed to step up because he realized she was actually struggling and doing all this shit by herself like there's more to the story than it just being a relationship with oneself i think
1: well like this is this is the main thing that i've been thinking about is that the story can effectively be boiled down to marlo is struggling She reconciles with her younger self and that gives her the power to be like a super mum sort Mm. of thing.
0: And I think that plays on a lot of mum's fears of, and my genuine fear when I was pregnant, of losing yourself because you're now a mum and that old you was gone now and you're now this new person and you lose a lot of your ideals and carefree attitudes. That's a genuine fear and I'm, I'm glad that they have a movie about that. But could they have also not made her psychotic? Well,
1: and, <laughs> but then I, I, I also, I don't know where you want to get into this, but I I don't think that she has psychosis. I think it's just a film device that she's, that Tully's in her head. Especially in light of everything that they've said, which is like, this isn't a clinical film. This isn't, mm. this is my mm-hmm. personal experience. But I think she's it's just a, a metaf-
0: psychiatrist at the end.
1: Yeah, because she drove herself off a bridge and ended up in hospital and got referred to the psychiatrist (laughs) anyway but no no I'm not saying that she wasn't going through mental illness I think that she was depressed and Tully is a a metaphor like a film device as opposed to a legitimate hallucination that Marlowe was experiencing
0: we're getting into the accuracy side of things which is a good place to to be at (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about the accuracy of the depictions yeah On that note, because we're now trying to figure out what is being portrayed, is it psychosis, is it not, is it just postnatal depression? And I argue that it is psychosis because she, in the movie, maybe she's the unreliable narrator that we see, but Berg is in the movie, in the room, her husband's in the room, and she says, oh, the night nanny's downstairs. And he's like, what do you like? She's like, she's weird. And so she's talking about the night nanny with him. Like, she's, she's there. She's real. So I argue that it is psychosis because she's believing it enough to to share with other people.
1: Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. But I... It's possible, I'm sure, but it just seems weird to have a psychosis that only happens at night.
0: Well, let's talk about that too. Because I guess we can agree that she's experiencing some postpartum depression. Yes. So, like... I'll just talk briefly about what postpartum depression is. Yeah. Um, postpartum mental disorders really are not a separate clinical diagnostic criteria. They are just... You
1: know, in, in the DSM, you meet the criteria for depression and then you tick the box that says this happened after a baby.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So it's just depression, depression. Um, and postpartum psychosis is classified in the short psychotic disorder section of schizophrenia. So postpartum depression is a depression that happens usually between two weeks to a month after delivery of a baby. That's usually when it starts. We're not sure why it happens, but there is evidence suggesting hormonal changes that come with childbirth and sleep deprivation. And there's some risk factors, including prior postpartum depression, bipolar disorder, family history of depression, and other just things that are going to be common stresses pretty much, including complications of childbirth as well. Um, And it's quite common. It affects about 15% of women. And also 1% to 26% of new fathers too. There was a study in an inner city mental health clinic in the American Journal of Psychiatry that shows that 50% of postpartum depressive episodes can begin prior to delivery. It can last up to a year as well. So it's different from baby blues, as they say, or postpartum blues, which is very common for all, most mums. But that usually only lasts about two weeks. I don't know why... Two weeks is the measure.
1: I think it's something to do with the uh, like withdrawal from different hormones. hormones. Yeah, yeah it's like enough. a normal reaction to that.
0: So the criteria for postpartum depression, you need to meet five of nine criteria. So firstly, feelings of sadness, emptiness, hopelessness, nearly every day for most of the day, um, loss of interest in pleasure or activities, weight loss or decreased appetite, changes in sleep patterns, feelings of restlessness, loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, loss of concentration or increased indecisiveness, or recurrent thoughts of death and possible um, suicidal thoughts.
1: It sounds like having a newborn.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But just longer than you would expect. I think we see her, you know, before the baby's even born, seem really low affect.
1: It's an unintended pregnancy, which is a risk factor.
0: Is that a risk factor? Yeah. Okay. In the movie, you can see she's, like, extremely tired. She's like, even before the baby was born, she's, like, zoning out and not listening to what her husband's saying. She doesn't seem to have really accepted that she's having the baby in the first place. Like, when they're talking, you're going to have three kids. She's like, what? Like, she's just not...
1: She kind of forgets that she's pregnant.
0: Yeah. yeah. During the labor and afterwards, she's just not happy or excited at all. She's just tired. And so is um, the husband, too. He doesn't seem that excited about it after. Mm. Um, when Tully comes in, she's like, oh, where is she? She's like, who? Mm. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> she doesn't seem to want to hold her much. She doesn't bother kissing her at night. But to be fair, like, I don't remember kissing Casper at night, um, when he was first born. Cause it was like no different. Cause he was asleep most of the time. Like we would have just kissed him every couple of hours. <laughs> Good night. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it seems like maybe she was already clinically depressed for a while. Her brother says, I just want my sister back. She, like she's been struggling at it for a while. You can also just sense in the film that monotony every day, that really thick, just draining. Every day's the same. Every mm. night. feed, change nappy.
1: There's a great montage that's kind of broken up with, like, nappy bags yeah. being put through the sort of nappy bin. And it's that's pretty, like, awesome. <laughs> like,
0: it's pretty accurate. <laughs> it's pretty damn accurate, isn't just, it?
1: Yeah. Just watching her pumping just made me think of... When you oh, were pumping, and I hate pumping, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it obviously she breastfeeds, um, but I was doing that triple feeding where you breastfeed, then you bottle feed from you know, expressed milk, and then you give formula because he wasn't getting enough, and then you ex- then you pump after that, and it was like oh, once you finish pumping, oh, it's about time for the next feed. Like yeah. it is absolutely draining and hor- horrendous. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> And it's, it's funny though, because Tully says to her, because Marley's hating the sameness and Tully's saying, it's that sameness you despise, that's the big dream, raising your kids in that circle of safety. And Marley says, I'm not safe, I'm scared. That really got to me because it's like, it's so true, like your baby needs that repetition. You need life to be familiar and routine and boring for your babies to thrive in a safe space. But we don't. As adults, we don't thrive like that. Some of us do, but most of us need something novel in our lives. So it's a huge sacrifice as parents in that first year and and beyond to literally give up all excitement Mm. (laughs) to give your babies a safe, secure base, Mm. pretty much. Another thing that Tully says is before she goes is, you just do what you need to do and then you do it again. And it's like, that's very true for depression. Like the only way to get out of depression is just keep going, even though you hate every second of it. Because if you just let depression defeat you, then it gets worse pretty much. But it's also like motherhood too, because you just keep going. <laughs> you want to stop, but then your baby will not have food. Mm. It's like that scene in Kimmy Schmidt, um, where she's like moving the, the lever and she's like, you can do anything for 10 seconds. And then you do it for 10 seconds. and Then you do it another 10 seconds and just, <laughs> you just keep going. It's like, But you just keep doing it until eventually things get easier or you don't have to do it as often or things change a little bit. And, like, that's kind of life. Anyway, I kind of digressed (laughs) a little bit. But I think in terms of that monotony of depression and motherhood, like, that kind of nailed it for me. Mm. So, yeah, I think she meets that criteria. Oh, for sure, yeah. Easily.
1: Yeah, without a doubt.
0: There's some really good scenes where you just can see how absolutely exhausted and drained she is mm-hmm. yeah As for postnatal psychosis or postpartum psychosis do you know much about it yourself like a little off the top of your head
1: a little bit So postpartum mental illness I guess is kind of a spectrum with psychosis at the most severe end It's less common and basically like postpartum depression it's not its own separate thing it's just a brief psychotic episode mm-hmm. that happens to be after a baby comes. So the sorts of symptoms that you can expect to be like manic things like euphoria, racing thoughts, but also depression, confusion and disorganization, disinhibition, paranoia, hallucination uh, and delusions. Mm -hmm. Um, While depression can be any time in the first year, postpartum postpartum psychosis tends to be in the first couple of weeks Mm. after the baby comes.
0: And most cases it's like immediate. Yeah, it's apparently quite sudden. Um, I also read that it's, it could be a form of bipolar disorder too.
1: Yeah, I was yeah. reading that most commonly people who have postpartum psychosis end up with a diagnosis of bipolar. Mm-hmm. They just hadn't sort of presented yet, as in they hadn't had a manic episode yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a psychiatric emergency. The baby and the mother are both at risk. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of talk about how postpartum psychosis can lead to infanticide. Yeah. Um, it's still it. super rare.
0: But I read that it's one of the leading causes of murder in children less than one year of age in Mm. the US. Yeah. It's pretty awful.
1: Yeah, it's awful, yeah.
0: Quite scary. Yeah. I did read from PANDA, uh, the Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Association, or Australia, that women with personal psychosis experience a full recovery with time and appropriate treatment. It's usually very temporary and treatable. But obviously, you've got to get in there. Mm. So... I guess in terms of that criteria, she definitely seems quite manic in that she's obviously doing a lot of things existing with very little sleep, acting a bit out of character from what her husband's used to. Like, he, he watches her doing karaoke and it just seems like this isn't what she's usually like. Mm. And, of course, the big red flag. She's having a hallucination. yes, And a delusion, because she believes that Tully is real. Yeah. If, if we are going to treat this as a psychotic episode though, do you think that it would just end in such a linear beginning, middle and end way? You know?
1: Uh, n- no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. But also we don't see what happens afterwards. So Tully could be leaving her. She might be replaced by another hallucination yeah. or, you know, the symptoms might just continue without a hallucination or something.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, it seems very like, it's a very positive, like, I'm here to reconnect with you. And once I've done that, I will go now, which I'm pretty sure hallucinations don't actually tend no. to do There's
1: one thing that people often don't know about psychosis is that when your hallucinations finish their unfinished business they disappear
0: <laughs> they go to heaven
1: yeah, yeah okay sorry that was a joke that was a joke that was everybody. a joke everybody
0: michael's really good at deadpan <laughs> um, <laughs> i did read that it's usually psych the psychotic episode's um, after pregnancy is usually about the baby, and it's usually a very paranoid um, psychosis where the mother has fears like someone's going to come and hurt their baby or that they're gonna hurt their baby. Hmm. Which is often why it can lead to violence or, or be quite life threatening. Yeah. It's usually not a person like saving you and it being a positive delusion.
1: Yeah. I mean that, that being said though, I think the the scary hallucinations is a bit of a stereotype. And, oh, and yeah, there for are sure. definitely people can definitely have positive hallucinations.
0: Oh, that's um, absolutely but true. Y- you're
1: right, this is a very structured, you know, character driven <laughs> good
0: looking Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's obviously a plot device as we've said. But you know, I think the movie portrays the psychosis, not well, but I don't think you can say it's not a, a psychotic episode.
1: Yeah, no, you, you have convinced me somewhat. The, <laughs> the thing that just turns me off is Tully. I, I just, that's, that's way too Hollywood a hallucination for me to think that they're actually saying that it's psychosis. And and the fact that it plays so well into the director's idea of the film, that it's about um, reconciling with your younger self mm-hmm. to move forward through a depressive sort of episode. I don't think they're trying... I think it's a device. I don't think it's a clinical, um, you know, case study of somebody with psychosis. Yeah. I think she definitely has depression, 100,000%.
0: I agree with you, but I also stand by what I've said. I
1: thought you were going to say on the nose.
0: Uh, <laughs> no. They They could have been a bit more responsible about it. But what people have said about this portrayal of psychosis, I'm sure you want to know. Dinah Spaulding from the Motherly blog, and I'm pretty sure what she wrote went pretty viral. She spoke to a maternal mental health therapist based in Chicago, Caroline Wagner who said the reality of postpartum psychosis is that it is extremely serious and presents grave danger to mum and infant. It does not involve fantastical imagined friend and caregiver and is certainly nothing to be made into a plot twist. Agreed.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> she's also concerned about the impact that the storyline will have on postpartum mood disorder survivors who are not aware before going, on, going into the movie what they are going to see. The promos don't even hint at the twist. So mums are likely to be caught totally unaware, which can be really upsetting and potentially damaging. And that's what I have a big issue with, is anyone who has experienced postnatal psychosis and sees this movie could be extremely triggered. Yep. (laughs) You have nothing to debate there.
1: Okay. The promo shouldn't hint at the twist. Yes, but... It's a movie... And the whole point of the twist is that you don't see it coming.
0: Yeah, okay, fair enough, film dude. But if I'd gone through, or yourself had gone through postpartum psychosis and had seen this film, I think it would be very distressing.
1: I think this is this has been a problem that, that I've been finding with like doing a podcast about mental illness in movies and deliberately watching movies and, and TV through the lens of, all right, how do they depict mental illness? And it actually you kind of lose a lot of enjoyment of the, from the movie and you're looking at it through a very, very specialised lens and you can kind of fail to see the forest for the trees sort of thing. And I think that this writer is very much in the world of maternal mental illness. Fair. And I think they're probably disregarding the fact that this movie was made... To be seen by as many people as possible, Um, but
0: half of those people are women, at least. Yeah. Who either have or will have or know someone (laughs) who's had a baby. Yeah. And you know, some of them are men too. Mm. So I just think you've got to. I think you just have to think about your audience. Yeah, true. And it sounds like Diablo was thinking about her
1: audience. Yeah. Well, um, I just think like risk benefit. Mm-hmm. I think it's a risk to...
0: Look, I, I disagree with the people who are like, you know, they need to apologise and this is an absolute disgusting outrage. I th- but I think all they needed to do was in the movie say, she's experiencing psychosis. And then that would have resolved a few things. Mm. Like, this is not normal motherhood. This is mental illness. And this is severe mental illness. I think that would have been useful. You can still take away all the positive stuff in the movie by just by saying that,
1: I think. I think they probably made a very deliberate choice not to put a name on the diagnosis because the director is saying it's not a clinical film. Mm -hmm. It's about your relationship with yourself. Yeah. So I I think putting a label on it is going to, to him, is probably going to undercut what he was trying to say with the film.
0: But in my feelings, he could have done all of that and made Tully real.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I so if he's going to Tully, Tully should never not have real. been imaginary. That was a disastrous a move. I hate that trope. It's like so tired. Please, please, no more.
0: But if he, he's chosen not to, and he's chosen her to be in psychiatric care, which means it's clinical. Whether you want it to be clinical or not, you made it clinical by her Jason. needing some clinical help or assessment. She doesn't get any help. Mm. Okay. <laughs>
1: I'm right. <laughs> yeah. How did how did you feel as a, a mother who's been through postnatal depression, not to the same extent as uh, first, Marlo, but, yeah. but were you triggered?
0: Well, there was definitely some bits in the movie that I was like, oh, I know how that feels. Um, and there were definitely times where I felt emotional, for sure. But I didn't feel panicked or anything. That is how I would usually feel if I was triggered. I can see why people, how people could, could have been, yes. Definitely.
1: I can't continue with this argument because... Because you lose your job. I'm, <laughs> I'm you're coming man. from a place of supreme privilege.
0: But I wanted to watch this movie together because we both... You know, we were going through lockdown when Casper was first born. We're still very much on our own with Casper because um, our families are all interstate. And we are very much co-parents with Casper. So the emotions that we experienced commonly in new parenthood, were we experienced together. So I thought it was a good movie for us both to talk about for that reason. Like, even though I'm the one who gave birth to Casper, you still experienced a lot of the stuff that we saw in the film.
1: Yeah. And, but I think Drew's character still resonated with me quite a bit.
0: Oh, let's talk about him a little bit later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> First of all, A scrunchie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But on that note of what we both experience as parents, I kind of want to talk about some of the portrayals that weren't clinical. Like the portrayal of being pregnant, I thought was pretty good in the movie. Like how, just how Charlize acted when she's obviously so pregnant. She's just waddling. You can see how exhausted and tired she is carrying this weight she's puffed and then her sister-in-law's like oh you're glowing and she's like (laughs) like i feel her (laughs) and the things people say to you like that scene where she's in the coffee shop and that woman tells her there's trace amounts of caffeine and decaf i wrote in my notes fuck you
1: bitch
0: (laughs) (laughs) full disclosure i drank coffee during my pregnancy I had one a day and that is actually under the recommended amount of caffeine for pregnant women. When I ordered at a cafe once, a woman who I kind of knew came up to me and was like, oh, I hope that's decaf. And it's like, oh, none of your fucking business, woman. <laughs> so that really resonated with me. Like some random stranger, why do they care what you're putting in your mouth for fuck's sake? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> Also, the the sister-in-law's character was so funny and the things that she says were just, like, so common. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, I feel it's definitely a boy. When, like, so many people came up to me and said, it's definitely a girl or whatever. And Mm. it's like, how the fuck would you know?
1: But the thing, like, I I, I like that one, though, (laughs) because it's a 50-50 chance. And (laughs) if they're right, it's like, whoa, so wise. But if they're wrong, you don't remember it.
0: Let's be clear, though. It's a 50-50 chance of sex, not gender. And not always. Thank
1: you. Thank you for putting me in my place.
0: Well, that's why it really shat me when people are like, oh, it's a boy. Are you hoping for a boy or a girl? And I'm like, I don't care. I just want it to be alive because gender is a social construct. (laughs) Anyway, um, and also, like, things like the third is always the easiest and um, the ninth month is really tough. I could barely make it to the gym. Like, I, I know some amazing mums that went to the gym throughout their whole pregnancy. The ninth month, I could barely get off the couch. Like, <laughs> oh, dear. She, she wrote those bits really well, I think, mm. from experience. Accurate. What do you think about the portrayal of the birth? The water breaking, the epidural, the waiting?
1: I thought it was pretty Accurate. Mm. I remember like when he like, they arrive at the hospital and, and Berger's got all the bags and he runs to the desk and it's like, we're, we're here, we're here we're to have this baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just a really strange space to, to, to be in. Like
0: yeah.
1: when you're, you know, it's happening, like yeah. the baby's coming. And you're
0: checking into the hospital. Like, do we really have to tell you? Like, yeah. obviously we're here to have the baby. Like-
1: <laughs> and it's like, so nothing to the person at reception yeah. like it's you know you're the billionth person they've seen in the exact <laughs> same situation but it's like the biggest moment of your life sort of
0: I th- thing. yeah i think when we walked in i even said <laughs> so i'm in labor <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah
1: yeah what do you
0: want me to do <laughs> you don't you usually see it in movies and this is what i think the movie did really well you usually see when someone gives birth that elation and that intense glee of having your baby and the tears and oh my god and you don't see any of that in this movie she's just drained she's not even looking at the baby the husband is the same um and obviously she's had some postpartum depression brewing already but that was I mean I was excited to see my baby when he was born but I didn't really get that rush of oxytocin that everyone talks about I didn't have, you know, all the pain didn't just melt away like they say it does. There's this like image that once you have your baby, you're, all your problems disappear and you're just in love. And I didn't get those feelings. I'm absolutely, desperately in love with my baby now. And and was soon after but they don't tell you that sometimes that doesn't happen and that's okay and that's normal and for me when that didn't happen I I felt really guilty like oh god Mm. I'm extremely depressed already (laughs) yeah and I'm not going to bond with my baby and that was like so not the case so I think it was really good to see that on film maybe it would have been good to see that outside of the context of postpartum mental illness in that You know, sometimes this is how it feels. Yeah, especially after you've already had two babies.
1: I think they were definitely making the point. Yeah, like this is depression happening. Yeah, like the way she gets the sister-in-law to put the baby back in the cot, sort of thing. Like she's not really interested.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just that
1: got to me a little bit.
0: The scene where she's showing, having to show the nurse how she can pee afterwards. Oh, I hated having to show that you had that you could pee. And the nurse like, come on, that's not enough. We've got to do more. It felt like that, like, oh, how much more do you want? Look, look, a pee.
1: Speaking as somebody with a lived experience of urinary retention,
0: <laughs> can
1: you appreciate what they're trying to? I can prevent? appreciate
0: what they're trying to prevent for sure. But it's like, I just had a baby. <laughs> yeah. Now I got a pee. <laughs> also, she got nappies. I didn't get nappies. I got these fucking terrible surfboard pads that that shifted around and didn't work for shit. Like, that was so crap. They didn't have wings. <laughs> I, I like how she, they portrayed the, just the discomfort after the birth, which is another thing no one really tells you much about.
1: Yeah, except in, like, a comical way.
0: What scenes really resonated with you postnatally? For me, like, dropping the bag of breast milk everywhere. Mm. Like, I felt that in my <laughs> heart. <laughs> Like, that's so real. Like, oh, I just spent so long pumping that. It's
1: everywhere. <laughs> I remember that happening with you a couple of times and it was just like was day ruined sort of thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it just totally ruined my day. Just that silence oh. after it happened.
0: <laughs> um, also, full disclosure, I have scrolled on my phone and dropped it on Casper's head. <laughs> oh, that, was, that made me feel so bad. <laughs> when you're just waiting and you're just watching shit TV and eating shit food because, like, you can't sleep and you've got to be there for when the baby wakes up or Mm. you're waiting for your dream feed or whatever, just that monotony. I have to say that that baby latched really well, which made me feel like crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and just all those other little things like um, the letdowns and waking up disoriented from an intense dream to feed the baby and stuff like that. Mm and also like as Tali got into the picture a little bit when she goes out and she's really drunk she's like I miss Mia let's go feed her (laughs) how often do we go out like very rarely and we're like I miss Casper yeah (laughs) you're just aching to leave the house and then when you do you just want
1: to come home again yeah
0: yeah anything else that resonated with you
1: this shot's like in darkness and then the baby starts, like the monitor goes, turns on, the baby starts crying and then you're Here like, what, go again. what time is it? Yeah, exactly. Like,
0: I cannot so. stay asleep for one second longer because I have to do this now. So let's talk a bit about stereotypes. One thing that I read a little bit about is how privileged and white the film is. Everyone of consequence in the movie is white and quite affluent, Marlo's struggling, but, you know, she's got mat leave. They both have jobs. Uh, They both have a house, a roof over their heads, and and there's no issues with, like, having dinner on the table. There are people that struggle a lot worse (laughs) than she would, but mental illness does not discriminate. But, like, all the people of colour in the film are kind of, like, barriers or sort of stereotypes of people that are uh, making it hard for Tully, like the principal who wants to send her son to a different school, the sister-in-law who's obviously, like, very superficial and doesn't really get it. And they're people of colour. So I found that a little bit like... not so Well, I guess it was a stereotype in that they were very stereotypical characters, but not very diverse.
1: Yeah, fair enough. But also, like, it's Diablo Cody's story. Yeah, that's and true. And I think she'd be in a lot more trouble if she tried to write something that she didn't already have experience with. Like, Yeah. Have you heard of American Dirt? No. It's a book about, like, a struggling Mexican family and it's written by a white American lady mm-hmm. and copped heaps and heaps of flack for that reason. Mm. And I think that Diablo Cody would probably cop the same sort of thing if she wrote a story that was like...
0: Yeah, but could she not have the people of colour...
1: Oh, yeah, I agree with negative you Negative influences? <laughs> yeah, 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 I totally agree with you.
0: Just include her husband could be black. Yeah. You know? And yeah, just the fact that after she has a car crash, like literally nothing happens. She doesn't get arrested. There's no like problems with insurance or what happens to the car. There's like literally no consequences to the family at all. Like it's a bit of a privileged, again, it's just creative license, but seems weird.
1: I see what you're saying, but A, we don't actually know. We get the vibe that in the final scene of the film, she's kind of only just woken up. Mm -hmm. So that stuff could all be yet to come.
0: But I hope this isn't on the nose of me, but if she was a person of colour in the role, she wouldn't just be nicely waking up (laughs) in the hospital bed. There'd be, like, police people, there'd be someone worried about drugs, you know. It would be a totally different treatment, I think.
1: But I just think, like, this is the sort of denouement of the film, it's not gonna like do a Lord of the Rings, and suddenly there's this whole like coda about the legal issues that she ends up embroiled in for drink driving and stuff. This is a movie. Okay. It's Hollywood. I think
0: we're we're digressing, I, and it's my fault.
1: <laughs> I don't think that stuff needs to be in it.
0: Okay, fair it, enough.
1: It would be a bad movie. It'd be boring. As fuck. <laughs>
0: uh, but it's a very white movie. We can agree on that. Yeah. Um. There's a huge stereotype of depression equaling, you know, having hallucinations and psychosis, which is generally assumed in a very misunderstanding, cruel world as being crazy. So in a movie depicting mental illness, seeing the most extreme version of it, can it- not help with stigmatizing mental illness at all, mm. which I think is a huge issue that a lot of these bloggers and um, articles have with the movie is it's not going to be particularly helpful for stigma and seeking help. I know that you said that if a baby isn't planned, you're more likely at risk of, being, of having postnatal depression, but you could surmise that if my baby wasn't planned, then I'm probably not going to bond with it. Yeah. But like- it's not always the case.
1: That's a risk factor and mm. not, like, a major risk factor. It's just something that's linked. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't mean that 100% of unintended pregnancies will the mother will have postnatal. Yeah. Though I, I think it adds to the accuracy of the depiction because she's got some legitimate risk factors. Yeah, for sure. That's a good thing.
0: I do like the fact that she does end up bonding with the baby. Like, you can see that she starts to enjoy the baby a lot more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the fact that she didn't bond with her initially and she had all this psychosis, that could really freak people out.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: if yeah. you've just had a baby and you're not um, having that instant bond that you expect, you could watch this movie and think, oh, well, I'm going to go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's not the case. And as I referred to before, like, not everyone has that instant connection straight away and lots of the things you do as a mum help you bond to your baby
1: but on the on the other hand like that could prompt somebody to get help that's true you know even if they're just not bonding and they're like shit i've got psychosis they may they may not be right
0: however that's where the movie would have been helpful if they actually saw her getting help yeah. Because then you'd be like, oh, that's what I do about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I, I did I did think about that. But I, I think that, you know, she kind of made the point of how they don't have enough money for treatment. It's America, so they have to pay for their health care. Yeah. And um, it's not a clinical film. Jason Reitman said no, it.
0: have got, got to listen to Jason. Um, also, her dad, the dad doesn't really bond with the baby Really, initially at all, either, which isn't seen as a problem. Yeah, no one's at all. like he's no one's psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> he's got depression. No, they're just like, oh, dads don't bond. Yeah, uh, true.
1: And what? the arc of the film is like that everything's going to be all right, sort of, because Marlo starts bonding with the baby. Yeah, but like dad's bonding is at the same level at the end of the film as it was when the baby's no, born. No,
0: no, there's a scene there at the end where he's playing with the baby.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, so. true. But like, but anyone you know. can.
0: He's just playing. He's not doing anything like feeding. He's not pumping. (laughs) You know what? Let's just skip to let's talk about the husband (laughs) in general. Because I know you might disagree with me, but fucking hell, what a stereotypical shit husband he is who gets away with doing absolutely fuck all in most scenes in the movie. You know, when she's in labor, he's just snoozing. Uh, When the baby's born, he's snoozing. (laughs) Like... His life doesn't change at all. He's still going on his trips. Like, he's stressed about work, but like, his work doesn't really change. He's still going to work. He's staying up gaming every night when he could be helping with the baby. Like, you know, wouldn't she love to do some gaming for a change? Like, no, she's not given that option. And like, you know, he justifies not helping by saying, I don't have boobs. It's not like I can do anything. Like, you can fucking hold a bottle, you can change a nappy. (laughs) I'm so sick of. And, you know, if this is Diablo's experience, well, I hope her husband, like, stepped up his game a little bit because I'm so sick of seeing husbands as the passive participant in their own child's life and that being acceptable and normal. Like, in reviews, they're like, oh, you know, he's, he's trying to be present. He's trying. He's not trying. He's not trying for five seconds. Your thoughts? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's like your typical absent dad because you, you get the sense that like he's trying a little bit.
0: Show me some evidence that he's trying a little bit. Well,
1: <laughs> you, you get the sense that he's got some emotional intelligence and and he, that he cares about Marlowe. I'm I'm not. I'm just trying to give a little bit of. Light and shade. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't think. But if you agree with me, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I agree with you, but I I think that they're trying to show him trying somewhat. But yeah, man, stop playing fucking video games all the time. Like,
0: like even when I know you think that he cares about her, but even when she's shuffling across the screen, he's like moving to get her out of the way of what he's playing. Like he's not even looking at her. Like. Mm. He's like, he notices some out of character things, but he doesn't bother to even ask if she's okay. Hmm. He's not, he has no idea what she's going through and he doesn't seem to really care to find out. He just comes home and criticizes that they're having frozen pizza. Like, look at her. She's absolutely trashed. Yeah. And then the other thing that really pisses me off, and you're not, (laughs) without disclosing too much, you haven't done this to me. Um, When he's like, oh, how are you feeling? She's like, I'm feeling good. He's like, okay, let's have some sex. And she's like, you can tell she's like, yeah, I'm feeling good, but no sex. I'm not ready for that. There's that expectation that the moment she's doing a bit better, like she now has to be sexy for him. Nobody. It doesn't work like that.
1: And that whole he needs his batteries charged I comment. I know. And that, but that's coming from like when Her it, Tully, Tully says it, but it, it's but, Tully is Marlo. Yeah.
0: But Tully is a younger, naive version of Marlo who thinks True. that She needs to please a man to keep them around.
1: Mm. But she goes ahead and does it in real life.
0: Yeah. But, you know, what about her needs? It just
1: sounds like internalized. What
0: about recharging her batteries?
1: (laughs) Yeah. It just sounds like she's internalized those unhelpful sorts of dynamics.
0: Yes. Yes. 100%. And even when he finally says to her, like, he's sorry... She's so beaten down and gaslit by, by society and that expectation that she says, you know, you don't need to apologize. You've done nothing wrong. Like, I guess he does. <laughs> you know, and he's like justifying that he got overwhelmed with working kids and, you know, he wants to run off sometimes too. I'm like, why? Like, she's doing everything for you except, you know, give you a blowy. Like, <laughs> she's sustaining your entire life. Like, why do you want to run away? Yeah, it just made me mad. If you were in this boat, it would take me a long time to forgive a husband who, who would be like that. Michael, you notice when I'm mildly distressed within five seconds of me showing distress. So like there's no way you would get away with being so checked out.
1: Yeah, but like a lot of what you see him doing resonated with me. Like Yeah. I think that he sort of just assumes that everything is ultimately up to her. Mhm. That it's not his job. But also, like bills need to be paid, mm-hmm. and he presumably works full time. It's hard to balance, and I think it was a, I think it was a reasonable portrayal of somebody struggling as a, struggling to balance work and parenthood, yeah, fatherhood.
0: But I think one thing that we've talked about, and that comes up when you're a new parent, is it's not just the looking after the baby that takes energy out of it which is in itself a full-time job but it's also the cognitive load the amount of pre-planning and preparing and and just constantly thinking about about the baby and what it needs and the timing of everything and what your structure of the day is and the routine and and what you feed them and all of those things and that often gets put onto the mum on top of the actual doing of everything so dad might come home from work and be exhausted from work of course but then work for a mum doesn't really end (laughs) well in a marriage like Tully uh like in Tully I think it was a good portrayal of a husband that is not taking up any of the cognitive load of being a parent yes fair enough he has to work but that's his child as well he's not just there to to provide the money for the child and maybe I'm a bit non-old-fashioned and a bit Feministic in my approach of of parenthood, or maybe we both are, but it's often all of that cognitive stuff gets lumped onto the mum and and that's not okay, and I feel like he is very complacent in this movie of just expecting that she's got everything under control, running the entire house, not just the baby but the other two kids going to all the, the school meetings and having to think of a, a an aid that the school won't provide <laughs> but re- will recommend. Like he leaves literally everything up to her and all he has to do is work and then that's it. It's, a, it's an unfair balance. What do you think?
1: I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for um, allowing us to air some personal grievances. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you are not, Burger. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> In many ways. You know, we didn't even, he hadn't even met the night nanny and didn't even care to meet her
1: yeah there, there's one if he tried line...
0: he would have found out she didn't exist <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, this whole thing um there's one line that i wrote down was that like he says to um marlo are you just gonna leave her down there with mia like he's not at all responsible for the safety of Mia. Yeah. like
0: and he says that in the hospital like oh she just left left the kids without anyone looking after it and the nurse is like Weren't you there? It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, they're your kids. Mm. Yeah, it's like the fourth kid.
1: Your older, bolder, fatter son.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just such a stereotype. And unfortunately, it's a very real situation for many mums out there, uh, which I don't like personally. But no offense to anyone who has that sort of situation in their household and are okay with it. Go for it. That's great. If you're happy to take all that cognitive load, Well done. You're an amazing superwoman slash superman. Any other stereotypes that you can think of?
1: One thing that we should talk about is that Jonah, the son with the developmental difficulties. Mm -hmm.
0: query autism.
1: Yeah. They talk about how Marlo had some sort of postpartum mental illness with him.
0: Mm. Her husband does say depression.
1: Yeah. Okay. And I think that a lot of viewers would probably draw a link and think, oh, she had postnatal depression. That's why he's, he's got, got difficulties. difficulties.
0: Yeah. Um, or they could think it's the other way around. Like he was a difficult baby, so she had postpartum depression.
1: Yeah. And what came first? I don't know what you think about this, but what I read is that there is a link between postnatal depression and adverse outcomes in children. Nothing like what Jonah had, which is presumably some sort of autism-like...
0: Developmental. Disorder,
1: yeah. But there is some low to moderate quality evidence to suggest that postpartum depression is linked with some physical health problems and other medical illnesses in kids, like things like asthma and diabetes. Mm -hmm. There's also, again, low to moderate evidence that there may be a link with, like, cognitive impairments and psychopathology, like anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. But in terms of this film, I guess we're worried that people will see, you know, Jonah's got this unnamed disorder. She had PND. If I have PND, my kid's going to have some major disorder. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I I would probably want to read into that research a little more and identifying what the common themes are with the postpartum depression and those higher risks, like the severity of the postpartum depression, perhaps, or not so much the depression itself, but how it impacted the mother and their relationship or or their actual caregiving. Yeah, I think that would be a big factor. But um, obviously, we don't know any of that in this movie, but it's pretty safe to say that postpartum depression does not is not linked with uh, developmental disorders such as what Jonah might be experiencing.
1: Yeah. And, and this article that I've got this from makes a point of saying that the effect of postpartum depression is probably less than the effect of just general maternal depression later in the kid's life. Oh, yeah. So
0: what are the risk factors of depression? Probably the same as the risk factors for those childhood illnesses and difficulties yeah. and complications. So, yeah
1: it's hard to disentangle. what
0: comes first yeah. <laughs> yeah oh just lastly when the nurse asks if marlo has a history of mental illness like her husband immediately says no oh except for that one time yeah she had depression i know he's a shit husband and that's <laughs> in line with his depiction in the movie but it it sort of smacks of yeah you know, oh, she had a bit of depression like it, it's not a mental illness like Yes, that is mental illness, and um, both baby blues can be normalised and not treated treated seriously, or more extreme, it becoming actual depression. People don't want to talk about it or admit to it when it's actually common and needs to be talked about and admitted for what it is, for the stigma to reduce. So it's you know that always happens. I've treated people um, or parents of kids that have mental health issues, and I go, you know, do they have a history of anxiety, depression? And they'd be like, oh, no, no, except for this one time where, you know, they wouldn't leave me when I tried to go take them to school. And it's like, well, that's, (laughs) Mm. that's a history, (laughs) you know, like people just don't want to admit to, yes, this is what this this is. And it's not their fault. It's, it's the society and the stigma that have been placed on mental illness. So it's a stereotype. I'm just pointing it out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's almost defensive, like...
0: No, she's fine.
1: Yeah. Actually she's not fine. Mm. No, she doesn't have any of those yucky mental illnesses. No.
0: Let's break it down as to what's helpful about this movie and what's perhaps harmful. What do you think was helpful in this movie?
1: I think it was a like fairly sort of raw and unflinching nitty gritty sort of look at what it's like to have a newborn.
0: Yeah. Not many movies out there that do actually show that. Yeah. For sure.
1: And I think it did her depressive symptoms pretty well. Mm. Not just like the, you know, you often see in movies, just like the crying and I can't out to bed and all yeah. that. But that this was more stereotypical like scrolling on your phone, bad TV, bad food. Just zoning that. out,
0: not really being present. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: I so I thought that was a pretty helpful sort of complex portrayal of depression.
0: And I think she does it extremely well. Like there are moments like when she's giving them dinner where she doesn't say anything, but you just can see mm. <laughs> how done she is. And like when when one of the kids spills something on her, she just takes off her shirt, like not complaining or losing the plot, just like I'm fucked. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does portray that really well. I guess it is a positive message that reconnecting with your inner child, young self can help you to get on with the new world you find yourself in. You know, and it is nice that uh, Tully was really positive about Marlo and what she had. Like, Marlo's obviously going through a period where she kind of is maybe regretting what, what where she's ha- ended up in life and she's obviously very burnt out. But Tully's here to just see what she has as success and like, you've got a family, you've got kids and you know, how wonderful is it? So rather than her younger self being disappointed in what she is now, she's embracing of that. So I think that's a positive mm. message in the movie. Yeah, it's, yeah.
1: it's an unusual.
0: I guess like as she spends time with... Tully she's doing a lot of things that she would have done as a younger girl like putting on makeup and going for a drink listening to music you know as I said you you feel like you're in danger of losing yourself when you become a mum. so it's really important to keep doing the things that make you you which she'd obviously not been doing so having time to do those things unfortunately it was with a figment of her imagination but (laughs) I think that's an important message you know get back to who you are
1: yeah, yeah. And, and and not necessarily like your quote unquote younger self, but just your values. Yeah. And the things, the things that, you that enjoy. you've lost over time. Like yeah. Get back to who you are, sort of thing. Yeah. Like, that's nice. That's a good message.
0: For me putting on makeup is so important. <laughs> for that reason, like I'm not just a bedraggled mum, I'm fabulous Steph.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and for me having a shower once every three to four days is <laughs>
0: <laughs> And that's another thing. There is a message. In there Tully says if you gotta look after yourself take a shower every day floss have a pedicure once in a while so yeah, there is a message from Tully to take care of yourself she's telling her older self to look after herself however (laughs) I have this debate a lot with my colleagues at work about what self-care is and self-care isn't taking a shower taking a shower is basic hygiene and having space to have a shower that's not a privilege or a luxury that's what you should be able to do every day (laughs) I get really frustrated when that when self-care is, is painted as like hygiene stuff. Self-care is, is doing a few things, but it has to be saying no, asking for help, being mindful of what your thoughts are telling you and, and choosing to let some go. Things like feeling guilty about doing things for yourself and stuff like that. Allowing yourself mental time and space to be who you are. That's self-care and also letting other people do stuff and them looking after you as well and being okay with other people looking after you. It's not just taking a shower.
1: Mm. That's you... beautiful. Thank you. I think everybody will take take yeah. that away with them.
0: I did have a little bit of a problem with all the platitudes in the movie that Tully comes out with. Like, mm. you, ha- you can't fix the parts without treating the whole. And if you replace all the sh- planks on a ship one by one, is it still the same ship? There's all these platitudes, but it's getting to a point, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I I noticed that too, and it's a little bit like irksome on the nose. <laughs> but I think maybe, you know, I think I think of myself as like someone who can express themselves like reasonably well and have interesting thoughts and stuff. Like I sound like a wanker, but <laughs> I often speak to myself in those sorts of platitudes (laughs) like don't you find sometimes that sort of thing just pops into your head Oh yeah, and and it's it's helpful in 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 the moment even though you know it's dumb
0: even little things like food before one is just for fun
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i think maybe that was maybe like a very subtle hint this is tully is marlo this is just her internal monologue put out to somebody else yeah yeah um True, true. Th- that was my thinking.
0: And I guess it's all messages of change. Like, as you grow and and as your life changes, you're still you. Or are you? <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah.
0: That's kind of the theme of the movie, I guess.
1: But then I thought that little thing about how, like, Mia was going to be a different baby the following morning, so give her a kiss. Like, I thought that was cute. Oh,
0: yeah. And that's true. Like, for, um, people of, I don't know where we... Who told us this, but, like, babies grow at night. Mm. So they're different in the next morning yeah. and you're like, it's actually true. Like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. little cute things like that. Mm. And also the fact that, um, what did she say? You are the baby because Mia's cells will be in you for years. I'd, I'd heard that too, that like your baby's cells are in you for, for a long time and your cells are in your baby, obviously, cause they're made out of your cells. You're not just you now. You're also your baby as well. Mm. Mm. Crazy. profound (laughs) what do you think about the idea of framing psychosis not as a scary thing that we need to get rid of but as a like a a coping mechanism because like tully says i was there i was just a a means to an end getting you through the danger zone like do you know if psychosis can actually be a functional thing having said that the psychosis is what led her to almost die but
1: Mm. um the only time that i've really come across that is when we were talking about Donnie Darko, (laughs) (laughs) about how that was a movie about psychosis as a superpower.
0: Yeah, yeah, true. Um,
1: But then, you know, I think about, like, the, like, neurodiversity sort of movement. I think a lot of people, you know, look at their psychosis, for example, as just one way of many to see the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it should be respected and celebrated,
0: and a lot of, as much
1: as any other viewpoint
0: And some hallucinations people have can actually be quite positive and empowering More commonly they are not But yeah. they can be
1: useful Yeah, like I saw a guy who had hallucinations And it was just a voice in his head that was like You're the king <laughs> And he was like, yeah, it's cool Yeah And it encouraged him to just be lazy It's like, yeah, I'm just, I'll just chill out I'm the king
0: Don't feel guilty about it, just yeah. be the king <laughs> And that can be amazing if if you know that, that that you're not the king,
1: which I don't think he did. <laughs> but I, I would I would hesitate to.
0: But if that's all that the voice is saying, like so what? He's a king, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, and I know where you're coming from. Like, there's that message of just because it's not real doesn't mean it's it doesn't have a place or it's not a valid thing. Yeah. If it's not harmful.
1: I guess if you're not in danger, nobody you're not at risk of hurting yourself or somebody else.
0: What, who are we to tell you that it shouldn't be there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But in this case, <laughs> everybody was at risk. Yes, yes,
0: yes. And I guess a last helpful thing about the movie is it's, and I think this is what Jason Reitman tried to say, that it was all about, nothing else, is it's a powerful like message of women supporting women. Obviously, she's the same woman, but... That's also positive, like loving yourself, which is a nice change from usual movies where it's a love story between a woman and a man or just a love story in general. It's rare to find a movie that there's not no sort of love interest and that's not the message. That's kind of nice. Yeah. It's good to see more women looking after women.
1: Chicks on the bench.
0: I did find some articles that thought it was helpful. A Vox article responded to the criticism that Diablo got, believing that the movie's powerful and helpful. And also believe that the fact that Marlo doesn't seek treatment is was the intention of Diablo Cody. Like, most people hadn't heard of postpartum psychosis and you, this might be the first time you listeners have heard of it. And more apparently more than 70% of mums with any maternal mental illness don't get diagnosed or treated. So any depiction of maternal mental illness that stokes controversy could be good for treatment she argues that cody's like generating discussion and awareness around this issue uh another article from the cut by jen gan thinks like it's a good start as well and she I, i really like what she said about this motherhood is complex it's not the same for anyone and it's probably not going to be what you expect definitely not plenty of people are talking about it and depicting it in popular culture But the reason I think we insist on this imaginary silence about postpartum mental illness is that no one seems to be listening in a meaningful way. Pregnancy and birth are often painful and result in complications, and yet postnatal care is woefully understudied. Paid parental leave is associated with better health outcomes for families, and yet the US does not have a federal paid parental leave policy. For women of colour, real motherhood includes very real risks. For all parents, childcare means spending a lot and encountering childcare workers who need to be paid more and yet we don't have universal subsidised childcare. And that's, I think, really important. It's kind of digressing a bit, but we are very lucky that here in Australia we do have paid parental leave for everybody and um, we do have subsidies for childcare. But a lot of places in the world, the thing that is the most difficult time in everybody's life, guaranteed, is so underfunded in the world, and for such a high risk of of postpartum mental illness. There's there's obviously a gap. There's a missing link there. We've got all this information, and not enough funding to to match up with it in the rest of the world. And even here, it could be there could be more support for sure. So yeah, she's so kind of arguing that it starts this conversation as well.
1: Yeah, which I think it does. Mm. And just like that first thing that she says about how motherhood is complex and not the same for anybody. That just says, like, this movie is one story among yeah. billions of others. So, um, shove it, <laughs> haters. Like, yeah, it's one person's story.
0: It's There's not many other stories out there. So yeah. a lot was riding on it. Yeah. And you know what? Diablo probably got more flack because she represents mothers and is a woman. And I guarantee if she was a man... People wouldn't give her as much pressure to do as well. If you know a man I mean. writing this movie, oh, we well, we'd, we'd probably not want to see it. But <laughs> I just find that when not, when a woman coming from a personal place creates something, there's a lot of expectation on them to do it really, really well. More and if, scrutiny, yes, yeah, so much more scrutiny. And if they they don't do it as well as people want, they get a lot of shit. Mm. And it's just a different experience, I think, than for men.
1: <laughs> is there like a question of like you've betrayed women or something? Like no one said mothers. that that I've read. <laughs> no, no, but an undercurrent of that.
0: But there's definitely an un- undercurrent of you, you've betrayed people with postpartum mental illness. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm. Which is a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's extremely <laughs> harsh. <laughs> She just could have done a little better knowing what was at stake Mm -hmm. (laughs) and knowing how much flack she was going to get, Yeah, maybe. Uh,
1: Do you think that she should have had treatment in the film?
0: Yes, 100%.
1: But but she couldn't afford it? Like, is that not a valuable thing to see? Yeah,
0: but she was admitted to hospital and she was assessed by a psychiatric nurse. They could have at least recommended some treatment. It didn't have to go for very long. It could have just been like... He's some antidepressants. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I just think that's like ripping the heart out of the film. Like that was the that was the point of the film, that scene. Like why, why I get bogged down in these sort of clinical, technical yeah. details.
0: But further to that, now that we're talking about what's harmful about the film, great little segue. <laughs> Seamlessly. Seamless yeah. segue. You know, at the end, he's helping. <laughs> But she's probably still Beger. doing them yeah like you know the the end is a is a you know she's at home he's playing with the kids a bit um she's putting music in so she's reconnecting with herself and she's doing the washing up or she's making the dinner or whatever and then he comes and helps her but it's just not enough for me that like she's okay now like he's stepping up a bit that's not how it works that's not how you recover from mental illness your husband doesn't just step up a bit Definitely not one as severe as what she was experiencing. And psychosis aside, like she seemed catatonic at times. She was so drained. It's, it's kind of like people that say, oh, you're depressed, just do some exercise. You know, it's, it's not that simple. There's so much um, work that goes into recovering from mental illness. So seeing a little bit of that would have been really helpful.
1: Yeah, but at the end of the movie, we just get the sense that things are looking up. All we actually see is, you know, he's playing with the kids and she's listening to music. I think that's
0: what it's trying to portray, Michael. (laughs) Yeah, I know,
1: but like, it's just like a cautious, it could just be a cautiously optimistic note of like, this is a week after she got discharged and they're having a nice day. He's, Berger said that he prepares the lunches with her prior to all of this happening. Okay. So, like... Maybe he hasn't
0: stepped up then. Well, yeah,
1: exactly. Like, it's just the weekend and he's got nothing else to do. Like, his mates aren't on Call of Duty or whatever, so he's playing with the kids instead. But <laughs> oh, I, That's a depressing yeah. ending then. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it ends with a hopeful note, but you don't actually know that everything's better. Like, nothing mm. is said. You just hope.
0: I also just hate that it takes her being almost killed for him to step up. I'll just say that as well.
1: You hate burger.
0: I just hate burger. There's lots of articles that I read that think it's harmful, but I'll just mention a couple. (laughs) Diana Spaulding in Motherly. Her issue with the movie is not that it's about a woman with postpartum mental illness. We need those. But her issue is that in not addressing the fact that Marley has a postpartum psychosis, the rampant problem of unaddressed maternal mental health concerns is perpetuated. And the reason that people were so excited about Tully is because they feel like it's the first time that true motherhood is being portrayed on the big screen. But this is not true motherhood. Motherhood is hard, yes, but it's not this. This is mental illness. Brushing aside a mental illness refuses to give it the attention it deserves. And I agree with her.
1: But the whole movie is about her mental illness. (laughs) Well, uh, maybe I'm the wrong... Like, I only found out about this movie when you said to me, hey, let's watch this movie. It's about postpartum depression.
0: But that's where, so like how it's been marketed. As. Well, I
1: didn't go into it expecting a movie about mo- just about motherhood. I went into it watching, expecting a movie about postpartum depression.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like we're saying she's not given a diagnosis. It's not clinically called out for what it is. Right in the moment. Right. That's where it falls short.
1: Okay. Like the whole point of the movie was well, one of the whole points of the movie is that there was nobody there to address her mental illness like nobody realized mm. until it was too late mm. so if anything it's a message about hey like you should check in because this shit can be going down and you might not even realize it you yeah. know like family and friends of new mums yeah fair this enough. this article is this is it's the pretty s- harsh. The same article that was <laughs> cited a few times and i agree with I think it, it it's but a it's a bit, a bit harsh
0: yeah But in terms of actual people who work in the postpartum support field, and you're right, they're probably looking at it with a little bit of tunnel vision and not in context of it's just a movie. But apparently in the US, in the New York Times article that I read, the president of the Postpartum Support International not-for-profit group said her organisation has been fielding complaints about the film since the spoilers were starting to circulate. So she felt under pressure to respond and they thought, It portrayed depression beautifully, but the ending was upsetting. They didn't say anything like, you shouldn't watch the movie, but she hopes the film prompts some more discussion about it, this president. But obviously, they're getting a lot of people concerned. And in HuffPost, there was even a campaign ahead of the movie's release by a Canadian non-profit called Life with a Baby, supporting mums with postpartum depression, Um, She started a social media campaign using the hashtag Hashtag this is not postpartum depression. And there was another group called Hold On Pain Ends. HOPE is the acronym um, in the US. Who also wanted a warning. And that mums should be encouraged to consider boycotting the film. Which again I think is harsh. But obviously the people who work in the group of vulnerable mums are very concerned about it we are not in that group so it's worth listening to what they have to say i think but also very harsh
1: it's super harsh (laughs) (laughs) i I find it a bit befuddling Mm. um but we'll leave it for other people to to discuss because it's not my place
0: well that's i guess that's what this podcast is all about is discussion and and it is your place to discuss
1: My my gut by checking some things. Okay, I won't tell you my gut feeling.
0: No, I think as we shared before, like even as someone supporting me through my experience, and you know, moving forward as Casper grows, there's some really shit days (laughs) that we've both experienced, mental illness or not. Parenthood, not motherhood, because it's not just mums who parent, is extremely hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. No one prepares you for how hard it is. Like you can tell people as much as you like, but until you're in it, you actually have no idea what it's like. And I know that's also a platitude, but there's so much that you don't find out until you're doing it and you're like, no one prepared me for this. It's amazing and wonderful and I I don't regret it for a second, but I do hope that this kind of movie makes it more acceptable for people to share how shit things can be. And that to be okay and not a sign that you're a bad parent. Mm. Because I think, at the end of the day, I don't think Marlo was a bad mum.
1: No. Yeah. No, she was unwell.
0: Yeah, she was just unwell. And and despite that, she did what she could do with every last bit of energy she had for her kids.
1: Well, the illness kind of made her do things that were more in alignment with... Above and beyond. (laughs) Yeah, what she thought a super mum is meant to do, like Mm. baking cupcakes and shit.
0: But I thought that was an important message too. Like I'm supposed to be doing all these things as an amazing mum, and and that's a stereotype as well. Like baking cupcakes and going to meetings and throwing fabulous parties for kids. No, that doesn't make you a good mum. It's 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 just being there for your kid and being there for your kid enough.
1: Yeah, is twenty is percent of the up. time.
0: I thought it was thirty. <laughs> <laughs> There's a st- statistic out there by. Uh, attachment psychologists that to be a a good enough parent you only need to be present and available and there for your kids 30 percent of the time which doesn't seem like a lot when you think about it um and that's really reassuring it is we expect ourselves to be perfect parents and there's just no such thing and you know what that's good (laughs) we don't want to be perfect parents Mm. yeah keep that in mind did you like the movie michael
1: I liked it until the reveal. The <laughs> I, I, I already said I fucking hate this trope.
0: <laughs> As it was about to be revealed, you're like, oh, she's not going to be in a head, is she? And I was like, um, no.
1: It's so <laughs> lazy. It's. Film school bullshit. Dumb yuck.
0: Yeah, like it could have been just a really nice coming of age movie if Tully was just a real person. Yeah. Had totally to leave.
1: It would have been just as good it would have been better if she was real. That's
0: this is what I'm saying. Like mm. it would have done less damage and it would have been just as wholesome and, and important, I yeah. think. I liked it. You know, I did actually really liked it, but I had problems with it. Yeah. Yeah. As we've discussed.
1: Boycott? Do you recommend a boycott of the, oh. this 2017 do we film? Wanna, do
0: you want to start a hashtag <laughs> yeah. campaign for
1: 2018? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Kill yeah. Charlies.
0: <laughs> no. I just want to say I, I laughed at two bits in the movie. Yeah. The first one was when the sister-in-law goes, Siri, play hip-hop. And then it plays diggable planets. It was. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and um, when someone asks what her kid's talent is, she says Pilates. Very funny let's just score it i guess yeah lived experience
1: i think this is our best lived experience yet
0: yeah like it's literally autobiographical to a point so i Hmm. think it wins apart from the psychosis part accuracy Uh, i think it kind of loses points for the psychosis part but the depression part yeah i think was pretty good
1: i think the fact that we had to argue about what condition she actually had says that it's not very accurate yeah. but you're right the depression was good but the 2. psychosis 5. i'm not on board with
0: yeah i agree um stereotypes yeah there's some pretty shit husband stereotypes in there
1: i don't think that there's like enough postnatal depression etc in movies to really like have established stereotypes. That's but true. There's a yeah. few like harmful little things I guess, like the the link between her previous depressive yeah. episode and the kid's but that developmental is, oh, disorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um there's a few little A few
0: problems. Yeah, Maybe but, half a point think,
1: again. Yeah I think they did alright.
0: Did alright. And helpful or harmful, it's kinda fifty of fifty again, I feel.
1: I am actually really surprised by all this hate for this movie. And before going through all this with you just now, I would have said that it was a help, helpful film. Mm. And I, I still think overall it's helpful. This hasn't been shown in, in cinema before. But and it's it a shot massive itself
0: problem. in the foot by going too far, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: It was helpful until the end.
1: Yeah. And then it was. The ending was... Is bad on so many levels. (laughs) Like, what the fuck were they thinking?
0: It was doing fine. And then, did you see what you did wrong there? (laughs) Oh, God. How do we score that? I reckon, like, two out of four. Yeah. When you actually tally it properly, maybe? When you... Two and a half?
1: Tally it up. Oi (laughs) Something like that. Overall, I think it's... I, I think it's probably the best movie that we've done so far. Like, for our purposes of like, a good depiction of mental illness.
0: It's the most realistic, apart from the psychosis stuff. Yeah. If you took the, psychos- like the psych- psychosis stuff out, it would get top marks, I
1: think. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it just blows it with that. I just want to say, before we finish up, we have spoken a little bit about... <laughs> we've, sp- we've spoken the whole time about postpartum mental illness, so I really want to uh, make sure... Everyone's aware of what resources are out there. If anyone listening has experienced or is experiencing postpartum mental illness, please get help. Ask for help. Tell someone what you're going through. And if anyone says, oh, that's just motherhood, tell them to shut the fuck up and listen to you (laughs) because everyone deserves help. So Panda is an awesome resource. Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia. The Centre of Perinatal Excellence, cope.org.au has amazing resources too. And then there's, of course, Beyond Blue and Lifeline, which are your usual places to go to for help. But Panda and Copa, very specifically for postpartum support. Also go to your GP and let them know what you're going through and know that you're not alone. You're so not alone. <laughs> and not just mums, fathers too, because you're also out there doing your bit <laughs> or doing all of it.
1: Or um, doing none of it. <laughs>
0: And if you're doing none of it, get your shit together, mate. <laughs> All right. All right,
1: Psycho like, <laughs> like Cinema Files.
0: Thank you for our, our time, our personal experiences coming at you. We'll be back next time with something completely not like this.